from Harney's Cayman. I'm Nick Hoffman, Managing Partner of the Cayman Office, and you're listening to The Cayman Lawyer. On this series, we'll help our listeners learn more about the legal landscape, navigate our laws, and ensure that our listeners have everything they need to know about what the jurisdiction has to offer. Thank you for joining us for this Harney's podcast. My name's Katie Pearson, and I'm a partner in Harney's Cayman Litigation and Insolvency Team. I'm joined by my colleague, Matt Tabor, who's a partner in our corporate team. And we're going to be looking at some of the liquidation and restructuring options that are available to investors in Cayman Islands joint ventures. Matt, I know you do a lot of work in this space. Where do you typically see Cayman joint venture companies being used and what issues are they facing at the moment? Thanks, Katie. Yeah, the the use of a Cayman vehicle is usually where you have investors who are located in different jurisdictions from each other and or they are located in different jurisdictions from that in which the business is being operated. Having a Cayman vehicle for that type of thing makes sense because it gives them a neutral venue for their investment to be sitting. It's obviously tax neutral from the perspective of a tax and is a well-known jurisdiction for those types of vehicles. Usually, the intention is going to be be that there will be some sort of exit by way of a listing on a stock exchange or a sale. It's, it's quite rare that you'll see Cayman Joint Ventures used for a long-term business. And at the moment, without being too obvious, performance metrics aren't being met for an awful lot of businesses. And the exit expectations of investors be they investors who are associated with the business or investors who've come in with some sort of debt interest is going to be really challenging. So what we're finding right now is for a lot of investors, there may be a realization that the metrics that they were looking for from the deal might not be available. Typically, our clients aren't management. And so those investors are looking to get out of their investment. And sometimes they're finding that the original negotiated deal wasn't quite what they expected, or the companies are facing some form of insolvency or solvency issue. So typically, like I said, the operations are located elsewhere. So before we go on and talk about the Cayman processes, what's available to those sorts of businesses in the jurisdictions where they're operating? Well, that's a good point, Matt. Obviously, the nature of these companies is that their operations are not in Cayman. So as an investor, you'd often have a choice between putting the company into some sort of insolvency process in Cayman or putting it into an insolvency process in the place where it's operating. And we find that there are some advantages to putting it into a process in Cayman as the place of incorporation. So the place of incorporation holds a special significance in international insolvency law, and that shows itself in a number of different ways. So firstly, on entering an insolvency process in Cayman, you get the benefit of an automatic stay, which means that nobody can bring proceedings against that company without the leave of the court whilst it's in that insolvency process. And that has worldwide effect. If you choose to put it into an insolvency process in another jurisdiction, in the jurisdiction where it's operating, you may well get 
a stay in that jurisdiction as well, but that stay wouldn't be recognized by the Cayman court. So you're leaving it open for a creditor who doesn't agree with the process or the restructuring or the deal that's on the table to bring an action against the company in Cayman and somehow disrupt your process. Another advantage of appointing liquidators in Cayman, if it's a Cayman company we're talking about, is that those liquidators will generally find it easier than someone appointed in another jurisdiction to get their appointment recognized overseas. So if you've got a company that's got operations in a number of different jurisdictions, it generally makes sense to have the insolvency process take place in the place where the company's incorporated. And finally, the Cayman insolvency process is often more cost effective than overseas alternatives, particularly if the alternative is a US Chapter 7 or Chapter 11 bankruptcy process. So there are a number of insolvency processes that are available in Cayman. Before we get on to the contentious or court-appointed liquidation processes, Matt, do you want to talk us through the voluntary liquidation process? So when is that used and how does it work? Sure. So typically what we see is the voluntary liquidation is used when the company's come to the end of its natural life. And so for joint ventures, it's not always the most sensible thing to do. But if that is decided that that's the way that investors want to proceed, solvency is the key point. And in Cayman, solvency is determined on a cash flow basis rather than a balance sheet basis. And what this means in practical terms is that a company needs to be able to pay its debts as they fall due in the ordinary course of business. And in order to make sure that that's the case, Cayman legislation requires directors to confirm solvency in a filed declaration if this is the way that the company wants to proceed. Usually, we find, as I said, this is happening at the end of the life of a company and the directors have taken time to wind down the operations of the company and realize all of its assets and deal with its debts. So you're really just terminating a shell. In some cases, it will make more sense to put a company which has got operations into a voluntary liquidation with assets and liabilities. And to do that, you need a shareholder resolution, which is a special resolution. And typically, that's going to be passed by a two-thirds majority of those voting at a meeting or a unanimous written resolution if everybody is on the same page in terms of how they're going to proceed. And the liquidator is then appointed by the shareholders as part of that process, or sometimes there's some sort of prearranged mechanics for appointing the liquidator that's included in the company's constitution. Once that's done, then there are specific filings that need to be made under the Companies Act. The main ones have to be done within 28 days, and that includes filing the solvency declaration that I mentioned and the liquidator consenting to act as liquidator. The advantage of this process is that there's no need for the court to get involved and anybody can be the liquidator. And this is typically quite attractive to people who are willing to take on that role. So you might have the shareholder or a director doing it and they can be located anywhere in the world and don't need to have any specific insolvency qualifications. What we find, though, is that where there is a concern about solvency, it's almost certainly going to be better to either address the solvency point by dealing with the debt, or there may not be an option to do that, and in which case an insolvent process is, is going to be preferential from the outset. But you may find situations where 
the resolution is passed, the company is put into a voluntary liquidation process, and then for whatever reason, the circumstances change between the point where that resolution is passed and the 28-day period. And if that happens, then the liquidator has to make an application to the court if the directors can't provide the solvency declaration and bring the liquidation of the company under the remit of the Cayman Islands Court, allowing for licensed insolvency practitioners to be appointed as the official liquidators. Okay, thanks, Matt. So that's um, voluntary liquidation. That's the straightforward, cheap and easy process. At the other end of the spectrum for an insolvent company, you have official liquidation, which is also known as compulsory liquidation, which is the result of a court process and is the Cayman equivalent of US Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Official liquidation can be sought either by a creditor on the ground that the company is insolvent and as Matt's already said, it, the test for solvency under Cayman Islands law is a cash flow test. It can also be sought by a shareholder on the ground that it's just and equitable that the company be wound up. So the just and equitable ground is really a shareholder dispute remedy rather than an insolvency remedy. And the sorts of cases where the court will consider it just and equitable to wind a company up include deadlock. So where the parties are unable to agree on how the company should be managed, loss of confidence in management, or where the company is what the courts have called a quasi-partnership, which is a company where the parties have legitimate expectations as to how that company should be managed and those expectations aren't being met. We often see these sorts of cases being brought where co-founders have fallen out and one party claims to have been wrongly excluded from management or to have had their shareholding wrongly diluted or where there are some sort of other allegations of fraud. So on a request on the just and equitable ground, the court can either put the company into official liquidation or it can make alternative orders, for example, an order that one party buy the other out or an order reconstituting the board of the company or amending the articles of association. So whereas the process for a creditor's winding up petition is relatively straightforward, it's really just a question of going through certain statutory periods, making sure that the company has an opportunity to respond to the petition and that the petition is advertised to make sure that other creditors become aware of it and have the opportunity to be heard. A just and equitable winding up petition is full on litigation. They generally involve disputed facts and can take months or years to determine, notwithstanding that the litigation is on foot for a long time. The fact of issuing a winding up petition can by itself have serious consequences for the company. As pursuant to the Companies Act, once a petition has been issued, any disposition of the company's assets must be validated by the court. So that means that any significant transactions, the grant of security or even payments of legal fees for overseas litigation have to be scrutinised by the court before they're permitted to go ahead. So that's why we often refer to issuing a winding up petition as the nuclear option. And the courts have held that those petitions should only be issued as a last resort. 
It's also worth noting that under Cayman law, it's legal for the parties to a joint venture to agree not to make a winding up petition by including what's called a non-petition clause in the company's constitutional documents. So it's important to check the articles of association carefully to check whether a shareholder does have standing to bring such a petition. There are also strict rules in Cayman about standing, so who's actually allowed to make that application. And a shareholder is only allowed to do it if it is the registered owner and has been the registered owner for at least six months. And that can cause difficulties, for example, where the shares are held in the name of a custodian. Okay, but there must be something in between my voluntary liquidation and your solvent nuclear option. Are there any restructuring tools that are available in Cayman? Yes, there are, Matt. The tool that we use for restructuring is provisional liquidation. So our Companies Act provides that once a winding up petition has been presented to the court, the company may apply without notice to any other party for the appointment of provisional liquidators on the ground that it is or is un- is likely to become unable to pay its debts and it intends to present a compromise or arrangement to its creditors. And the appointment of provisional liquidators leads to the automatic stay that I spoke about at the beginning. So that means that once the liquidators are appointed, no proceeding may be brought against the company whilst the restructuring is going on, unless you have the permission of the court to bring that action. And any compromise is typically affected by a scheme of arrangement. So what happens when a liquidator or a provisional liquidator is appointed? Who are they and, and what do they do? So liquidators are Cayman insolvency practitioners. They're qualified accountants. They're resident in Cayman, although they can take an appointment jointly with an overseas practitioner. So in an official liquidation, the court will appoint official liquidators to wind up the affairs of the company and their authority displaces the director's authority. So the directors technically remain appointed, but they don't have any powers. The official liquidators take control of the company's affairs subject to the supervision of the court and their primary function is to collect, realise and distribute the assets of the company to those entitled to them. So first of all, to the creditors and if there's any left over to the shareholders. For provisional liquidators, there's no prescribed set of powers set out in the law, but they'll have the powers set out in their appointment order, which may provide that the director's powers cease on their appointment, or they may provide for the directors to retain some powers. As I've said, on the appointment of either form of liquidators, you get this automatic stay, which means that proceedings can't be brought against the company without the permission of the court. As we've discussed, these processes are complicated and they don't necessarily come cheap. Have you ever seen an investor simply walk away from its investment? What are the considerations there? Bizarrely, yes. 
I think if you were to consider what might have gone into investing in a Cayman company and setting one up in the first place and the potential returns, we still see situations where investors, and typically it's going to be the finance investor, so it's going to be someone who's not necessarily involved with the operations of the company, just wants to walk away. Um, sometimes that might be because they are a listed company and they don't want the entity consolidated for balance sheet purposes anymore or it's just simply they've had enough and the investment is not worth the recovery efforts that might have to be gone into uh, getting a return. So options there, principally, it's going to be a surrender of the equity um, because we're talking about equity here typically, and they will be able to surrender their shares for no consideration to the company. The company needs to accept that. So in an odd situation where a company refused to accept a surrender, I suppose you could find yourself stuck with your shares, but typically they're going to want to see the money walk. And that's very simple to effect. You sign a document which surrenders them, the company accepts it. And at that point, you're no longer a shareholder. And typically the shareholder agreements and other arrangements that are in place to govern your relationship will terminate with regard to you and your holding once you cease to be a shareholder. So the company simply then needs to update the register of members and you're gone. Well, that's interesting, Matt. And it's worth bearing in mind that if a winding up petition has been presented, not only will you need the company's consent to give up your shares, but you'll also need the approval of the court. So as an investor, if you are looking at that as an option, I guess it's worth doing it sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I think actually one thing to to add to that is that you may, in certain cycles, we have seen situations where you've got funds who are invested in entities which are insolvent or have gone into insolvency process. And it may be stopping those funds from winding up themselves. So um, if, if anybody's listening who's dealing with an investment fund liquidation or wind down, um, that is something to bear in mind that, that it's an option that's available for a, an asset that you've had valued at zero for a while. And to do so before the liquidation starts is going to be preferable. Thanks very much, Matt. I think we're at the end of our time. So thank you. Thank you for joining me. And thank you to all of our listeners as well. Thanks, Katie.